Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.13 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 3rd of March, 2022. This is episode 554 of Bitcoin. And I want to thank all the people that are supporting me on Patreon, as well as through Podcasting (laughs) 2.0. Last couple of days, man, I got a whole bunch of invoices rolling in, and it was just awesome to see. If you don't know what I'm talking about with Podcasting 2.0, here's what you need to know. You grab your Breeze wallet, you grab, I don't know, maybe the Fountain app or possibly the Sphinx Chat app. Sphinx Chat was basically, you know, number one, arguably number two, somewhere around there, okay? It was number one or number two out of the gate with Podcasting 2.0, and they put a podcasting app uh, inside their uh, chat app, which was really nice because that chat app already came loaded with a wallet a lightning wallet to be exact. And that particular wallet, I was able to link directly up with my lightning node. And that's where I first got started into podcasting 2.0. So I would go and look for, oh, I don't know, my favorite podcast, you know, uh, Jack Spirico's The Survival Podcast. I was looking for all kinds of, you know, to see if I could find uh, podcasts about regenerative agriculture, soil, carbon, nothing was there. Nothing was there. Nobody had picked it up yet, right? <clears throat> so thankfully, though, all the Bitcoin podcasts were all there because all of us were early adopters, right? So I was able to listen to those. And what it enabled me to do was stream Satoshis to my favorite podcasters directly to their Lightning Node and or Lightning Wallet, however they set it up. And I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was search for their for their uh, podcast feed inside of a Podcasting 2.0 light, uh, enabled app. And that's the important part. Otherwise, this doesn't work. If it's not Podcasting 2.0 Lightning enabled, it ain't going to do jack shit, okay? And when you're doing it, all you have to do is say, oh, well, there's my favorite podcast. Uh, then subscribe to it. And then you listen to one of the episodes. And then... If you've got your wallet in that podcasting app loaded up with some Satoshis, you can say, I want to stream one, two, three, ten Satoshis per minute to get uh, my value traded with the value that I'm getting from the podcast. And you don't have to do anything else. We do all the stuff behind the scenes. I had to go grab my general RSS feed off of SoundCloud. I had to give it over to Adam Curry's crew. They and I had to give them my lightning uh, node address and they refashioned my RSS feed and made it podcasting 2.0 compliant. I then took that RSS feed and I well, actually, I didn't even have to do that. Once they did that, it automatically went into the podcasting index, which is also Adam Curry's uh, crew. And at that point, it was automatically propagated across all 2.0 podcasting apps. You don't have to really do anything. Just find my podcast, stream Satoshis, and we're golden. If you are uncomfortable with that, you can do it through Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast if you want to go the legacy financial route. But the absolute best way to help me support this show, which I haven't done, I haven't asked for this in, in, in a while, is if you don't want to do either, then your time. A five-star review on Apple Podcasts, like in on like other podcasting apps, if you're, you know, if you have the ability to rate, write a review. And I also want to have feedback from from this audience as to what it is you want this show to become. Uh, I've been asking that for the last, you know, for the last week. And like, uh, I think I started asking about that the week before, because I really do want to make this a project between me and you. All right. So <clears throat> with all that said, 
Let's get on with uh, Ukraine comes up first. I know we're all sick to death of hearing about it, but this is kind of interesting. And remember, I promise that I'm not going to read stuff about Ukraine, Russian stuff, unless it has something to do with Bitcoin or something adjacent to Bitcoin. <clears throat> and here we have Prescient Ja writing for Cointelegraph. Ukraine cancels token airdrop and reveals new NFT plans. My God almighty. Yeah, I was, I was having enough difficulty having to deal with people in this space that were scammers like Brock Pierce, okay? And the, the multitude of scams that we've seen just come out of, out of the woodwork on all this shit. This is nation state level scamming, okay? So let's, let's see exactly what's going on. The vice prime minister of Ukraine informed the public on Wednesday that they have decided to cancel the airdrop for crypto donors that was announced on Tuesday and plans to raise more money through the sale of non-fungible tokens instead. And here he is, Mikhailo Fedorov in his tweet saying, after careful consideration, we decided to cancel airdrop. Every day there are more and more people willing to help Ukraine to fight back the aggression. Instead, we will announce NFTs to support Ukrainian armed forces soon, TM. We do not have plans to issue any fungible tokens. Jesus. Ukraine's crypto airdrop program took an unexpected turn on Wednesday when a fake account created 7 billion Peace World tokens, disguising it to be the original airdrop tokens for crypto donors. The fake airdrop began almost an hour before the official mentioned time, but was flagged soon after by Etherscan. A couple hours later, the Ukrainian minister announced that they plan to use NFTs and have fortified plans of offering... Uh, any fungible tokens. That's an, an odd sentence. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Not my fault. I didn't write it. The official Ukrainian crypto wallet for donations reportedly received $7 million in donations after the airdrop announcement, which became a topic of debate on crypto Twitter. While the minister didn't reveal any reasons for the cancellation of the airdrop, some in the crypto community were not happy about the U-term. Uh, sorry, U-turn. So uh, Kobe... Uh, at Kobe, and if you don't know who Kobe is, he's been on, he's been on, God, I hate to say it, guys, crypto Twitter for a long, long time, and he replied to Mikhailo Fedorov's tweet with, this is the best rug ever. <laughs> I mean, a nation-state rug pool, dude. Initially, Ukraine announced an airdrop on Wednesday following robust support from the crypto community, along with millions in crypto donations. Ukraine turned to crypto amid worsening situations in the country caused by Russia's invasion. The official Twitter account for Ukraine on February the 26th shared a Bitcoin ad, uh, and Ethereum wallet address along with a call for help from the crypto community the world over. Upon the crypto community's request to add more crypto support, the official donation wallet went, went on to add Polkadot and God forbid Dogecoin addresses as well. Jeez. Reports suggest that the official donation wallet for Ukraine has received a total of $37 million in tracked crypto donations. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it sounds nefarious. It probably isn't, but it you know, certainly sounds nefarious. Okay, so I just heard, uh, like, or I just saw another news article that I'm not going to read that those donations have actually topped $50 million dollars, ladies and gentlemen, $50 million have flowed into those addresses. My God. And, and, and we're still bouncing around this forty-three, $44,000 mark. And it just, it's simply amazing, honestly. Um, so the rugging ru the rug on a nation state level, I have never seen this before. And I don't think any of you have either. So we, it, it would behoove us to uh, talk a little bit about this just to reinforce what's going on here. We have a nation that the whole reason it got invaded was because they were going to go into NATO, which would put NATO directly on the doorstep of Russia, and Russia reacted. That Russia warned everybody that this was going to happen. I mean, they've been talking about this shit for two years. I'm not sure why this was a surprise, but 
apparently it was a surprise. So you've got a, a, a NATO wannabe member nation who, after figuring out how much money they can get through quote unquote crypto, they decided to do a token airdrop. I mean, these guys are learning fast, right? I mean, you're, you're talking about like, if you were to take all the shit that we've seen or all the shit that I've seen since 2015 up until today, and you squash it down all the, I mean, 2015, I'm, I'm, we're talking seven years of watching this, this whole thing evolve from what kind of, you know, like from ICOs to token airdrops, to fork coins, to all the, the bullshit. And now we're into non-fungible tokens and, and they squashed it all down all seven years into a week, a week. They squashed seven years of what I've seen evolved in this space into a week. Can you imagine what comes next? I mean, I can. I've got a pretty good imagination, but I'm pretty sure it's going to fall flat. Anyway, former consensus employees file for audit claiming serious irregularities. <laughs> Joseph Lubin is the major shareholder of both companies. The transaction was to the detriment of the minority shareholders of CAG, C-A-G, and to the benefit of Joseph Lubin personally, the group has alleged. Brian Quarmby, tell us more, Cointelegraph, a group claiming to represent 35 former consensus AG, that's the C-A-G employees, has requested an audit under the Swiss Code of Obligations to investigate, quote, serious irregularities that they allege occurred in mid-2020. <clears throat> CAG, also known as Mesh, is the company behind top Ethereum-based wallet provider MetaMask and was founded by Joseph Lubin, who is also the co-founder of Ethereum. According to the press release, the group of employees who claim to represent around 50% of all known shareholders submitted the request to a Swiss court on March the 1st. The group alleged that, quote, fundamental intellectual property and subsidiaries were illegally transferred from Consensus AG into a new entity called Consensus Software Incorporated, or CSI, on August the 14th, 2020. The former employees also assert that they and other minor minority shareholders had no idea that the IP transfer had taken place and claimed that the deal was only conducted to benefit major shareholders and Lubin himself. Quote, Joseph Lubin is the majority shareholder of both companies. The transaction was to the detriment of the minority shareholders of CAG and to the benefit of Joseph Lubin personally. End quote. The Washington-based company hit back in a statement suggesting that the release was the work of one single employee. Quote, Mesh refutes the allegations underlying the legal action as well as those contained in the factually inaccurate press release that was self-authored by one of the former employees. Mesh looks forward to formally refuting the allegations and accusations in Swiss courts, end quote. <clears throat> According to the claims, the deal saw IP, intellectual property, and subsidiaries transferred to Consensus Software Incorporated in exchange for 10% ownership of CSI and an offset of the $39 million loan by founder Joseph Lubin, end quote. The deal was said to have resulted in top traditional financial institutions such as J.P. Morgan Chase acquiring stakes in MetaMask and Ethereum developer platform Infura. This was while the intellectual property was used as a key draw card to raise funding for CSI at a $3 billion valuation back in 2021. Consensus said the property transfer was valued fairly at the time and that the landscape had changed dramatically since mid-2020, which is why the assets increased in value so much. The group of employees is seeking for the intellectual property and subsidiaries to be returned to CAG and is willing to battle out the matter in court to find a resolution. Quote, we will push to seek justice through the Swiss court system, we are not interested in settling for less, and we are ready for the upcoming court battles, end quote. <clears throat> the latest action against Consensus and Lubin comes just a few months after former general partner Kavita Gupta filed a lawsuit against the firm in New York, alleging that it had failed to pay out the agreed carry percentage related to a fund that she managed between 2017 and 2019. The dispute has since become embroiled in claim and counterclaim, with consensus hitting back by filing a complaint in mid-January. 
This alleged that Gupta had fraudulently induced consensus to hire her via fake university degrees and work credentials. Gupta then filed an additional complaint alleging that consensus had engaged in fraud, negligent misrepresentation, and unjust enrichment relating to the accusations against her. Posting the court documents via Twitter on February the 3rd, Compass Mining content director and cryptocurrency journalist Will Foxley likened the back and forth to a National Enquirer piece. And here's Will Foxley's two tweets on this. Consensus claims Gupta lost her carry after the fraud was discovered with her suit. Consensus is now countering asking for her salary, bonuses, and any equity to be given back. The curious part of the time discrepancy between the resume fraud being discovered and her leaving the firm. The court will have to weed its way through two different timelines. Oh my God, this is a mess, y'all. So here it is. What you got is former employees um, of Consensus AG requesting that Consensus Software Incorporated give back intellectual property to a company that they no longer work for? I guess it's because they still own equity in CAG and they want to have that property back in CAG. It just seems like, I don't know, man, it seems like, it, it, I, don't, I don't even, I was about to say it sounds like mercenaries, but it's clear or it seems clear that Joseph Lubin did an illegal transfer. If nobody knew that IP was being transferred and you got equity in the company that it's being transferred out of from, then you're losing, you're losing part of the value of the equity because your equity is based on intellectual property and technology and product sales and all that shit. And if they transfer 10% or whatever it was that they said, I think it was 10% of that over to CSI, then you just lost, in this case, maybe you lost like eight to 10% of the value of your equity. So it makes sense that they want it back, but it just goes to show just how screwed up Ethereum and all the things and workings. I mean, this this actually mimics the way Ethereum as a protocol works, sort of like a Rube Goldberg machine that effectively does nothing. I mean, I can pick up a fork and eat a piece of toast. I don't need a you know a, a wild ass machine with birds and balls bouncing and shit like that to pick up the fork for me and eat a piece of toast. It's just bizarre. <clears throat> Continuing on, Bitcoin is a good bet if Fed continues easing to avoid a recession, says an analyst. Jesus, do you, you get paid for that? <laughs> Yeshua Gola has it for Cointelegraph. Bitcoin has the potential to become a good bet for investors if the Federal Reserve does any, everything it can to keep the U.S. economy afloat after impending recession risks, according to popular analyst Bitcoin Jack. Oh, okay. So he's not a, he's just a commentator. Okay. Thank God. The independent market analyst pitted the flagship cryptocurrency often called digital gold by its enthusiast against the prospectus of further quantitative easing by the United States central bank, noting that the ongoing military standoff between Ukraine and Russia had choked the supply chain of essential commodities, such as oil and wheat resulting in higher global inflation. For instance, consumer prices in Europe jumped 5.8% year-over-year in February compared to 5.1% in the previous month, greater than the median economist forecast of 5.6% in the recent Bloomberg survey. Interestingly, the energy sector was responsible for whipsawing anticipations by recording a 31% rise in prices, way higher than food and services. Similarly, the United States Consumer Price index advanced seven and a half percent year on year in January, 2022, its highest level in 40 years. That's four O or four decades. Jack hinted that the ongoing inflationary risks of the Russia Ukraine crisis could leave the fed with two options. One, they could hike interest rates aggressively to bring inflation down, thus raising recession risks or two, they could continue their quantitative easing program only to burden the economy with higher consumer prices and a lower U.S. dollar purchasing power. Quote, if easing continues, inflation keeps going higher. They, Bitcoin and gold, seem good bets as long as the recession crash slash crash remains avoided. Jack tweeted March the 2nd, adding, quote, but if everything crashes, almost everything crashes, and you buy the phoenixes that rise out of the ashes, end quote. <clears throat> Man, that's like, 
that's like extinction level event kind of thing is what he's talking about. And it's really scary. Jack's analogy appeared hours before Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, confirmed that he would propose a 25 basis point increase in the interest rates in the next Federal Open Market Committee meeting mid-March. Powell noted that the Fed had been assessing the the prospect of raising rates consecutively for the rest of 2022, but the recent invasion of Ukraine by Russia has prompted them to proceed carefully along the lines I'm going to pause right there to make a, a, you know, to conjecture something. I would imagine that the United States in the upper echelons of power probably knew that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. And they're like, you know what? We can do, we can do double duty here. We can kill two birds with one stone. Tell you what, Jerome, why don't you go ahead and announce that we are going to rake everybody's over the coals and raise interest rates four, five, six, seven times this year and get those markets juicing. And then, and then Putin's going to roll into Ukraine and then we're going to have all the reason we need to backtrack and go, you know what? Because X, Y, and Z, we're not going to do it. So I am still, as of, as I've said, like when they first started becoming hawkish, that the chances of a real impactful interest rate rise is negligible. And if they do, the next meeting will see that interest rate be dropped. That's my prediction. Okay, so here we go. Quote, we're going to avoid adding uncertainty to what is already an extraordinarily challenging and uncertain moment, he told the White House Financial Services Committee during his testimony on Wednesday. However, Powell did not rule out the possibility of raising interest rates by a half point percentage if the next CPI readings come any higher than anticipated. Quote, to the extent inflation comes in higher or is more persistently high than that, then we would be prepared to move even more aggressively, end quote. Bitcoin continued its decline after Powell's remarks, briefly dropping by over 2% to below $43,000 on Thursday. The move downside appeared in contrast to a jump in the U.S. dollar index, which rose 0.25% in the same period, suggesting that global investors had been rushing to the greenback safety against the ongoing economic and geopolitical uncertainty. Appetite for safe havens also boosted Bitcoin's demand earlier this week. On February the 28th, BTC's price rallied by a little over 14.5% in a day, registering its biggest one-day increase in a year. An arcane research report asserted that Ukrainians seeking, quote, powerful fundraising tools, end quote, and Russians trying to circumvent the strictest capital controls in decades were behind the BTC price jump. Quote, this speculation may have contributed to the 15% increase in the Bitcoin price over the past seven days, Arcane Research wrote on March the 1st, adding that BTC could climb to $47,000 next. Similarly, Bitcoin-based investment vehicles attracted $195 million worth of capital inflow month to date until February the 25th, the latest CoinShares report revealed. But risks of recession keep clouding over Bitcoin's upside potential. For instance, Brian Colton, chief economist at credit rating agency Fitch Ratings, anticipated core inflation to remain high throughout 2022, especially as the Ukraine-Russia crisis exasperated the risks of global price shocks. Quote, if core inflation remains high and inflation expectations rise, the Fed and the Bank of England could be left with no choice but to quickly move rates to neutral or restrictive levels, he wrote, adding that it could push the Fed fund rate to 3% by the end of 2022. Quote, U.S. GDP growth could fall to 0.5% or below in 2023 in such a scenario compared with Fitch's baseline forecast of 1.9%, end quote. <clears throat> so there, there it is. That's, the, that's what we're dealing with here. And inflation is is not going to abate. So this puts me and my prediction in quite a quandary because inflation is not going to abate. I got fuel prices. When we we do the numbers here in a second, I got fuel prices, gas prices, and oil prices that are all just, they're, I mean, they're they're parabolic. That if you've got to ship it, you're going to pay more money. And if you're going to pay more money to ship your product, you're going to charge more. And we're not getting any more money. So inflation is indeed going to either remain what it, what it is or it's going to rise. And that puts the Fed in a real pickle. 
because then they are then they would very much love to raise interest rates because that's what we've always done, right? It all it always works. That's what we do. It's like it's like they're reading out of a textbook at this point, like a like a manual of operations going, oh shit. Uh okay, so if interest rate is this and interest rate stays this, then do that. But I don't think it's going to work this time. Everything is different. It feels different. It looks different. It sounds different. Everything is different. So what's actually going to happen? Shit, I wish I could tell you. I don't know. Maybe we can get some wisdom from, uh, oh, actually, you know what? This one, I was going to read it. It's just too long. So let's go ahead and run the numbers and we'll come back to it. And just like that, everything changes. Flammable liquids are no longer on fire. At least they're not going parabolic today. West Texas Intermediate is down just over a full point. No, actually it just switched. It's down 1.1% to $109.38. Not that that's cheap. Brent North Sea down 0.57% to 112 and a third. Natural gas has fallen by almost 2%, $4.67 a thousand cubic feet, and gasoline has also fallen scant, 0.16% to $3.30 a gallon. Oh, by the way, I was way off on what what I was thinking gas was costing the people on the West Coast. We're looking at between 4 and $5 a gallon, not 8 and $9 a gallon, but you, know, you never know what's going to happen after that. Gold up uh, 0.42% to nine, uh, $1,930. Uh, silver, likewise up a half point, $25.32. Platinum is up 1.41%. Copper is up 2.16%. Palladium is up 3.38%. Agricultural futures today are mixed, but wheat soaring 7.08% to the upside. Uh, the biggest loser today is going to be coffee down 1.27%. Indices, Dow up a half point, S&P is up a half point, NASDAQ up three quarters of a point, S&P mini is up one third of a point, fuck it, real money, $43,895.84. 286,606 transactions in the last 24 hours is just under 12,000 transactions every hour on the hour with 845,000 BTC being sent in that period. That's 35,200 BTC every hour on the hour being sent around the horn with an average transaction value of 3 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.015 BTC or 644 bucks. Block times are low, 9 minutes, 32 seconds. 14, oh, sorry, 0.146 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. And check this shit out, man. 22 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a 9.32% drop in hash rate, we're below 200 at 196.86 exahashes per second. Shitcoin indicator as per normal is Dogecoin, 13.3 United States pennies. Why? Because people will not learn their lesson. 2,794 transactions waiting on two blocks to clear. $829.8 billion is Bitcoin's market capitalization, which is 6.5% of gold's total market cap. And you can, if you so choose, purchase 22.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18 million 973,321.14 and 3,456.6 of those are in the Lightning Network, which is valued at $151.0 million, being run over 20,087 nodes that we know about, sporting 85,529 public payment channels, and 76.2% of all of it being run over 11,643 Tor nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Uh, I was going to impart some wisdom from Gandhi at the first part of the show, but nah, it was just running too long, so we'll do it here. Maybe Gandhi will tell us what the hell's going on. 
Bitcoin Magazine's Dan Weintraub is writing this one entitled The Bitcoin Epoch and Mohandas K. Gandhi. My goal in writing this piece is not simply to provide the reader with a small window into Mohandas Gandhi as a thinker, teacher, guru, and moral man, but to see how we might extrapolate Gandhi's teaching into this moment in which we are bearing witness to the birth of a brand new epoch, the Bitcoin epoch. I honestly believe that Bitcoin can help bring Gandhi's vision to fruition. Gandhi was a lawyer, educated in Britain, who during his lifetime became a human rights activist and spokesperson for the end of British, British colonial rule of India. Gandhi was also a religious man, a Hindu. He lived in a world in which two of the world's major religions, Hinduism and Islam, both coexisted and came into profound conflict. His story is well documented, documented, and you can learn about his life if you are so inclined. The following four variables somewhat characterize Gandhi's existential philosophy. Sadly, Gandhi's rather beautiful dreams for the world were dashed by all manner of human frailty, frailty and fallibility. Hopefully, Bitcoin resurrects Gandhi's teachings in ways no one or in ways we will only come to understand generations from now. So, nonviolence. Quote Nonviolence is the greatest force at the disposal of mankind. It is mightier than the mightiest weapon of destruction devised by the ingenuity of man. Mahatmas Gandhi. Nonviolence, at its most basic, is fairly self explanatory. Don't hurt anybody else. As a political expedient and within the context of movements for social change, nonviolence is perhaps more nuanced. We are, of course, circumscribed in our understanding of nonviolence vis-a-vis our multi-millennial frame of reference. In other words, it is very difficult to disentangle nonviolence as a philosophy for living from nonviolence as a form of political speech or action. Gandhi's embrace of nonviolence was binary. Nonviolence as an expression of something holy and nonviolence as a way to maneuver around British military hegemony and imperial authority. Bitcoin is a force that favors nonviolence. Bitcoin rejects the use of violence as a means to various ends, for Bitcoin does not perpetuate an exploitative dialectic. With Bitcoin, in every corner of the globe, individuals are working together to defend each other's autonomy, each other's dignity, and each other's sovereignty. Bitcoin does not demand that we ask permission, that we supplicate ourselves to powerful intermediaries. Indeed, or instead, Bitcoin joins us together as an ever-growing and peaceful, quote, army toward the commonweal. Bitcoin is nonviolence embodied for it promotes mutuality and rewards connections. Simplicity. Quote, live simply so that others may simply live. One of the hallmarks of Gandhi's life's work was his embrace in simple living and his repudiation of our obsessive and exploitative pursuit of money and power. During the final decades of his life, Gandhi lived in relative poverty. By all accounts, this ascetic life informed much of Gandhi's spiritual and relational wealth. Indeed, he was one of the richest men in the world at the time of his death, not for money, but from love. Bitcoin does not call us to greed. It calls us to community. Yes, we may come to Bitcoin as investors in search of profits, but in time, if we are willing to learn and to have some imagination, we more often than not come to see Bitcoin as perhaps the greatest hope for humanity in the history of civilization. As such, Bitcoin calls us to simplicity because it only asks that we participate, that we place our trust in this ever-expanding trustless network, that we practice humility in the face of something bigger than we can even possibly consider. And if we truly embrace the gravity and enormity of this moment, and if we honestly believe that a thousand-year-old system of money and governance is destructive and inhumane, then heed Gandhi's call when you come to Bitcoin. Live simply, live humbly, build community, build the network. Poverty. Quote, Poverty is the worst form of violence. Yeah, Gandhi chose to live like the millions of his fellow Indians for whom poverty was not a choice. And yes, like Henry Thoreau, Mohandas Gandhi could have perhaps availed himself of a variety of safety nets, whether resource-oriented or simply physic in nature when pushed to the limits of suffering. He didn't. 
But Gandhi's words about the nature of poverty and his lifelong struggle to alleviate one of the primary causes of poverty, the exploitation carried out by British landlords in India, speaks volumes to his vision and understanding of the incredible and abusive power of government-controlled money. Bitcoin ends poverty. Bitcoin ends poverty because in a Bitcoin world, people no longer associate profit with power. In a Bitcoin world, the accumulation of money is no longer an end unto itself. Why does this shift occur? Because Bitcoin, as an inviolable unit of account and exchange, as an inflation-resistant store of value and permissionless, trust or permissionless network, births, over time, an entirely internalized belief in and trust of the system, of that network. People don't hoard because people don't feel insecure. People don't accumulate because people know that abundance exists for all. People don't grab power through the riches because the power of riches no longer has any teeth. Bitcoin ends poverty because we become a world in which fear of not having enough dissipates into a distant and nightmarish past. We come to community, global community, because global community becomes our sole frame of reference, our universal, universal sole raison d'etre. Imperialism. Quote, <clears throat> I must not be misunderstood. Though I hold the British rule in India to be a curse, I do not therefore consider Englishmen in general to be worse than any other people on earth. I have the privilege of claiming many Englishmen as dearest friends, end quote. Gandhi saw British colonial rule of India as evil. At the same time, he did not view the British themselves as evil. This distinction was critical in Gandhi's topological universe as hatred of the other was simply another form of violence, and violence was an affront to God. Gandhi believed that human dignity demanded an end to colonial rule, and to this end, he was a nonviolent warrior for most of his life. Bitcoin is decidedly anti-imperialist and anti-exploitative, while simultaneously being inclusive and so very humane. Imperialism always seeks to extract, to conquer, to vanquish, to punish. Bitcoin rejects such actions and motivations because the network is inherently invitational. The network thrives, it becomes more robust as more people join. No one on the Bitcoin network tarries with such silliness as national borders or political hegemony or skin color or station in society. That's the stuff of the past's ignorance. Bitcoin is anti-imperialist because in a Bitcoin world, imperialism is entirely antithema to existence. Mohandas Gandhi was not a saint. He was decidedly imperfect, but it is my contention that were he alive today, and were he to do his 10,000 hours of study, that Gandhi would find Bitcoin in alignment with some of the central teachings that he embraced and espoused. All right, so that's the end of the article. And it's, uh, honestly, I think it's a really great read. It really is to kind of remind us, why the hell are we here? What are we doing? Are we still really grasping for wealth? Are we still really grasping for anything other than security? And if so, where does that security come from? You know, for me, it comes from family, friends, you know, wh whether they're digital friends, you know, in the, in the ether on Bitcoin Twitter, which has sadly become an absolute cesspool. I may say more about that later, but not now. But in, in either event, that, that, there's your security. It's not, I mean, you have all the, you know, surely it's true that all, if you have a shit ton of money that, you know, it'll fix shit for how long, honestly, the, the way things are going, like I said earlier, everything feels different. This is, this is even more, this feels more different than post 9-11. And I was there. I, I watched on television as the planes actually crashed into the buildings I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing. I saw the second plane crash when I woke up. The deed had already been done on, on uh, World Trade Center 1 or whatever. In either event, I was there. I watched it. I felt the change over the next coming days. And even with the Patriot Act, because I was just so horribly ignorant, I didn't realize what that entailed because I was still believing that, oh, it must be about patriotism. We were all so blind. All of us were so blind. Thank God we've got, you know, thank God for Bitcoin, but also thank God for the people behind Bitcoin who are just laying it out there teaching 
pontificating, doing anything that they can to get anybody who doesn't know what this technology stands for and what it can do to understand what this technology can do. So thank you to every single one of you for doing that because it's a, it's, for me, it's been a very vicious and hard road to do this podcast for three straight years. It's just the, the amount of ups and downs getting deleted off of Twitter. I mean, it's just, it's like this painstaking crawl through muck. And every time I wake up, I'm like, what, what manner of hell will I see today? And it's, it, it gets exhausting. Most, most of all, it's mentally exhausting. I, I'm physically, I'm fine. It's just after a while, mental exhaustion will take its toll, but here's Gandhi. And remember for, for a final thought, remember what Gandhi did that was 100% nonviolent and actually ended British rule in India. He gathered up a whole bunch of people. And before he started walking to the sea, from a long way away, it wasn't like he walked down the damn beach. No, they were miles and miles and miles away from the edge of the sea in India. And they put out word in the street, we're walking to the sea. And people joined him. What are we going to do? We're going to make salt. That was illegal. Yes, that's right. Making salt at the seashore, like Indians have been doing for thousands of years before, once British rule came in, they realized oh, if we control the salt, we control a lot of shit. So they made it illegal for Indians to be able to make salt like their ancestors did. And Gandhi said, fuck you. And they walked and they walked and they walked for days and they reached the beach. And it was, they were greeted by a bunch of British colonial guards and they were all armed. And it became a standoff. Are, are the British really going to mow down a whole shit ton of civilians while they're doing nothing more than making salt, illegal as it was. And Gandhi and his crew sat down on the beach and they proceeded to start making salt. And that was it. That was the, that was the, end, that was the beginning of the end of the pullout by British colonialism from India. Not a shot was fired, not a fist was thrown that I know about. The only thing that was done was a shit ton of salt was made from the oceans that grace the shores of India. The SEC is investigating NFT markets over potential securities violations. As per a report, I'm surprised it took this long. Tom Mitchell Hill is writing it for Cointelegraph. The United States SEC, led by crypto skeptical chairman Gary Gensler, is reportedly investigating non-fungible token creators and marketplaces for securities violations, according to a report from Bloomberg. Anonymous sources in the report claim that the SEC is investigating whether certain non-fungible tokens are being utilized to raise money like traditional securities. Yes, they all are. My God, how hard is this? Throughout the last few months, attorneys from the SEC Enforcement Unit have reportedly sent subpoenas demanding information on specific NFTs and other token offerings. While crypto lending products have been the subject of great regulatory scrutiny over the past year, this report marks a major move into investigating the NFT sector. The inquiry shows that the SEC is taking particular interest in how fractional NFTs are being used. That's where a more single valuable NFT is tokenized into smaller pieces and then sold. The warning signs may have been clear for a while with Hester Pierce, also known as Crypto Mom, stating back in March 2021 that selling fractionalized NFTs could be breaking the law. Quote, you better be careful that you're not creating something that's an investment product. That's a security. End quote. The investigation is the latest in a wave of clampdowns that seek to govern the cryptocurrency market more firmly. Most recently, the SEC ordered that New Jersey-based crypto lending company BlockFi pay a record fine of $100 million for failing to list high-yield lending products as securities. While Bitcoin and Ethereum have been able to avoid scrutiny, owning to the fact that they aren't considered securities by the SEC, at least not yet, other digital assets have not enjoyed the same reprieve, unlike the case with Ripple and the parent company of Ripple, XRP, which has been embroiled in a legal case over selling unregistered securities since late 2020. 
NFT sales have continued to grow, flouting the current market decline with the top two NFT exchanges, Looks Rare and OpenSeas, sharing $10.7 billion in trading volume over the past 30 days. Get rid of your NFTs. At one point or another, NFTs will have a place. This particular place that they hold, the niche that they reside in, is not the niche you want to be sitting in. That's the niche on the tree that's going to be sawn down. I'm sorry, it just is. NFTs will not go away, however. I'm, I'm serious. 100% guarantee I'm going to be correct on this. That doesn't mean that I like them. It just means that they're not going to go away, but in this particular instantiation of it, it is lethal from a legal standpoint to have anything to do with this shit. I wouldn't hold any of these things if I was guaranteed that if they caught on fire, I would be followed around by a complete fire department ready to douse my ass. That's how dangerous these things are. This is ridiculous, honestly. And so are a whole shit ton of ICOs for that matter. But one at one time or another, NFTs will come back and they will be done properly and they will have a modicum of utility. I just don't know exactly what it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be trading apes though. Really don't. Uh, why regulation can and should still apply to Bitcoin. Amazingly enough, this is out of Bitcoin magazine. Uh, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to read it, but we might as well figure out what's going on. Artem Afayan tells us more. Two weeks ago, Ukraine adopted a new law on virtual assets. It is a fundamental law and it establishes the principles of how the crypto market will be regulated. The law does not contain any specific requirements and direct obligations. Nevertheless, the existing opinions that cryptocurrencies do not need any regulation, even that it harms them, have stirred up the Ukraine crypto community. It should be understood that the crypto anarchist movement is quite strong in Ukraine. Historically, one of the first anarchist republics in the world was proclaimed in these lands a hundred years ago called the Free Territory. If you've never heard of this, I highly recommend reading about this period of history. It's an exciting experiment, but these thoughts got me thinking about how much regulation really harms Bitcoin. The idea that Bitcoin exists out of legal regulation is also wrong. I will give another analogy here. We may treat the air differently, but atmospheric pressure applies to all of us. The laws of physics apply to us regardless of our views and beliefs. We are all the same object of the Earth's attraction and we are in its atmosphere. In the same way, when we are in a particular society, we have to follow its laws regardless of what we think of them. Now, if we have new relationships happening or arising, they are not placed in a legal vacuum. The ground rules apply to them, but most probably, especially with laws and regulations written before any digital asset or even the internet even existed, they just fit in so poorly that they cause only harm. That is why all this mess with regulation is happening. And if you look closer, almost no new laws are passing, but new rulings are issued. All this works quite poorly when the foundation or the old law is out of touch. Let's try to look at this situation from a technical side. If we consider any social relations as a social construct, then it turns out that laws are simply a kind of protocol describing the establishment of social relations. Bitcoin uses its protocol to implement transactions and to establish links between the various participants. But there will always be people behind these wallets and the Bitcoin white paper dominates the code of Bitcoin, not people. Consequently, we have two different protocols. It is a protocol of the law and the Bitcoin protocol. Bitcoin is permitted as long as it has not been prohibited. Adopting a law does not necessarily mean that Bitcoin has become regulated or legalized. It's simply a matter of this object getting its own unique and consequently more comfortable working rules. So when analyzing community views, just as the community is working to improve the Bitcoin protocol, we need to realize that we also need to work to improve the law. The Bitcoin protocol has not been perfect from day one and is still improving. The laws regarding Bitcoin work just the same. All right, so what I want to say about this is this reminds me of what I've been harping on the last few episodes is the notion of what's called emergent properties. There is almost a, an, an infinite amount 
of things, and I have things in quotes here, things that can be done with the Bitcoin protocol that have yet to be discovered without changing any code, without doing a damn thing to the protocol or consensus rules, any, none of that. Just Bitcoin as it is right now, right now, there is an infinite amount of applications that can pour out of it that we have yet to discover. It took, I don't know, a few years before somebody started thinking, okay, well, given that I can do a transaction on Bitcoin, has, is there any way, ah, oh, the Lightning Network. See, nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw that coming. It took somebody who's just really good at looking at the code, very comfortable with Bitcoin's code saying, ah, you know, I can do this, and if I if I if I take this over here that has nothing to do at all with Bitcoin, and I and I and I somehow or another slap it together with this emergent property that I'm pulling out of Bitcoin here, I've got a new product and/or service. Hence, you know, Lightning or uh, hardware wallets. Nobody saw that shit coming, and it just happened. It was an emerg It's an emergent property. The emergent properties of Bitcoin that are still hidden in the layer one protocol are probably enough to stymie regulatory landscapes for decades to come. And it's going to be an ongoing fight and it's always going to be interesting because we've never seen an organism like this before except for the internet. And look what that did. For better or for worse, look what that did. Moving on, China's share in Bitcoin transactions declined 80% post crackdown. Pershant Jha has it for Cointelegraph. People's Bank of China claimed in a recent note that China's share in the global Bitcoin transactions has rapidly dropped from over 90% to 10%. The Financial Stability Bureau of the Chinese Central Bank released a comprehensive note on Wednesday discussing the impact of the crypto crackdown on the financial markets. The official notice claimed that all peer-to-peer -peer exchanges in the country had been eradicated, which eventually curbed the hype around digital currency transactions. A Google translated version of the note read, quote, the global proportion of Bitcoin transactions in China dropped rapidly from more than 90% to 10% severely cracked down on illegal financing activities such as disorderly handling of finance and cracked down on illegal fundraising crimes, end quote. China is among the few nations that have ma maintained an outright passive stance against crypto use since the beginning. The country's first ban came in 2013, people, when it prohibited banks from handling Bitcoin transactions. This was followed by a ban on local cryptocurrency exchanges in 2017, forcing them to shut their operations down completely. The country later ramped up its crypto crackdown efforts in 2021, where it carried out multiple regulatory operations to eradicate Bitcoin mining from the country. And by September of 2021, it had deemed all crypto transactions as illegal. According to data from Statista, the annual share of Bitcoin trading volume in digital yuan has dropped to near zero by 2018, post a ban on cryptocurrency exchanges. The trading volume of BTC in the Chinese yuan might have dropped down to near zero, but the decentralized nature of Bitcoin makes it impossible to ban. After a ban on local crypto exchanges in 2017, many Chinese traders turned to foreign crypto exchanges via VPN. When the Beijing government banned foreign crypto exchanges from offering any services in mainland China, as well as as well, the Chinese traders flocked to decentralized finance for trading anonymously. So you really can't ban Bitcoin, but what you can do is ban yourself from Bitcoin. And again, I call out to Western nations, uh, you know, and, and Central and Latin American nations and the continent of Africa and everybody else that thinks really that they don't want to go the way of Russia and China, that maybe you should consider adopting Bitcoin and asking your private citizenry for help. Just a thought, you know, just a, just a thought there. <clears throat> the European Union is taking measures to prevent Russia evading sanctions with crypto, says Lemaire. Uh, this is Scott Cipollina, Decrypt.co. The European Union is set to crack down on Russia's ability to evade economic sanctions using cryptocurrencies, according to France's finance minister, Bruno Lemaire. 
Quote, we're taking measures in particular on cryptocurrencies or crypto assets, which should not be used to circumvent the financial sanctions decided upon by the 27 European Union countries, Lemaire reportedly said yesterday. It's not the first time public officials have raised concerns about Russia using cryptocurrencies to evade sanctions. Amid the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Ukrainian Vice Prime Minister Mikhailo Fedorov called on cryptocurrency exchanges to ban Russian users. Earlier this week, several Senate Democrats also asked Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen how the U.S. could ensure crypto would not be used by Russia to evade sanctions. As early as last October, the Treasury Department released a report that said digital asset risks undermining the United States sanctions regime, a long-established cornerstone of American foreign policy. Quote, these technologies offer malign actors opportunities to hold and transfer funds outside of the financial system. They also empower our adversaries seeking to build new financial and payment systems intended to diminish the dollar's global role, the report said. A prevailing fear is that Russia could pivot to types of ransomware as a means of using cryptocurrencies to evade sanctions. That's at least on their list, I guarantee it. According to blockchain analytics firm Chainalysis, about three quarters of the world's global ransomware revenue in 2021 came from sources highly likely to be affiliated with Russia. In Russia's famous Moscow skyscraper, Vostok, the country also housed several crypto-related businesses that possess substantial transaction volume from illicit sources per chain analysis. Former FBI agent Crane Hasselt also recently told Decrypt that cryptocurrencies are the primary factor driving today's ransomware landscape. Quote, it essentially allows the overall ransomware payments that we've seen previously to scale to numbers that are pre pretty crazy, said Hasselt. Are you serious? Your, your fear is that Russia starts using ransomware and asking for Bitcoin in payment? Dude, that's not the way wars are fought. I, they're just, they're just ramping up for cyber, for the cyber pandemic. That's what this is. Just saying. Last up is, uh, wait a minute, do we want to? Because no, actually, let's not do this one. We'll go ahead and end it here. And I will see you on the other side of the music break. All right, it's Thursday and I got a joke, but this one is coming from Helena Handbasket, uh, who says, good morning, and then gives us a screenshot of this rather interesting joke. Pun enters a room and kills 10 people. Pun in 10 dead. Get it? Pun intended? Pun in 10 dead? You know, don't worry about it. It's, it's brutal enough just having to, to wade through all the, the news that's going on today. And I, I do want to address what's going on in, uh, on Twitter. Something has happened. And it, it, I think it actually happened on January the 1st, which was the same date that all of, well, my, my primary uh, Twitter account, uh, BENND77, got taken down. And then over the next two or three, actually, I, was, I guess it was over the next four days, I lost my two alt accounts. Uh, they closed them down too. And then it took me, I don't know, it took me like a, I think I laid down for, I laid, I laid low for about two weeks, three weeks. And then I spun up a new one with a different phone number um, and started getting, you know, started getting my guys back. But what was really weird was that, you know, both of my alt accounts hit like 1500. When I told everybody what was going on, both of my alt accounts hit like 1500, uh, followers within 24 hours and I'm still chilling out at like, I'm still chilling out at like, uh, what 1,100 or something like that. And that's after like, oh, well over a month, well over a month of, um, of getting my, you know, getting my followers back. And I've, I've, so I, I, I don't think that, that my signal is getting out there anymore. And, you know, Matt O'Dell, has said on several occasions that he he thinks he's just flat out uh, ghosted on Twitter, and I'm not. I'm seeing complete. I'm seeing literally completely different. Um, even though I've got my Bitcoin list, and that's what I normally use to scan what's going on in the uh, in Bitcoin Twitter, uh, I'm not seeing anything that's really interesting. 
and I've got all the same people and it's become worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So I don't know what the hell Twitter has done to their algorithm, but they have literally screwed everything up. You know, Bitcoin Twitter used to be a lot of fun and it's right now it's just, it's just not. Now this may have to do with the fact that everybody's talking about Ukraine and Russia and my, uh, by the way, if you want to mute words so that you get away from that shit, I, I highly recommend muting Ukraine, Putin, Zelensky, Russia, Russian, COVID, vaccine, Ukrainian, and Moscow. And that cleaned up my Twitter feed, but honestly, it's like, it's just, it's 100% different now. It's bizarre and it's disheartening. I, I don't like it. Um, so I don't know what's going on, but something is, is definitely going on. So keep your eyes open for your own Twitter feeds and uh, see if you have if you're noticing the same thing or not, let me know because I don't, you know, if it's just me, then that's one thing. But if it's like everybody, then that's, that's quite another. Anyway, uh, if you want to promote the show, please do, do it using podcasting 2.0. And if you are not familiar with that and don't want to get into it, there is always patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. And you can do it the old fashioned way. Um, also spreading the word of the, of Bitcoin and podcast, that word of mouth goes a long, 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 long way. Uh, a lot more than I ever thought even remotely possible. So if you don't want to do either financial support through the lightning network or the old Fiat rails, I totally understand that. So if you could give over some of your time to tweet out my, my show announcements, five-star reviews on Apple iPod or Apple iTunes, all of that stuff really helps grow the show. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.